Gracious God, the, the words of that song challenge us to see that we're, we're in this together. And I particularly pray today as we're going to talk about a heavy topic of depression and anxiety. I pray, first of all, that we'd be open to hearing what, what your word says and how we can engage these seasons of life. I pray for those who are here, for whom this is part of their story, that they would understand that they're not alone. And I pray for us as a church that we could be a place where we truly walk with one another and encourage one another and stand shoulder to shoulder with one another, even in these dark places. And I thank you that we can do that with hope because of the work of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, again, good morning. If you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 6, Psalm chapter 6. In the Old Testament, and um, it's great to see you. Many of you are new with us today. Just want to say welcome. I know we've got some members of the Palmyra High School soccer team here. Great to see you guys. Best wishes as you're in the playoffs. Hope that continues to go well. So thank you for joining us. As I get started this morning, I want to share a chapter with you of my life. I was 25 years old. And I was seated in my doctor's office. You know that awkward feeling of just sitting in a doctor's office and waiting. And when I sit in the doctor's office, I find myself reading the health posters over and over again. You know, there's a poster about high blood pressure. There's a poster about needing to have your colon screened. And, you know, the longer you read it, the more you become convinced. Oh, my goodness, I've got this too. I've got this too. And And finally, after sitting there waiting, my doctor comes in. He was a longtime family friend. Uh, Actually, we went to church together, and he kind of says, okay, George, what brings you in? And so I I just started telling him some of the things going on in my life in terms of symptoms. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't sleeping well, lack of energy. Some days it was hard to get out of bed, and And perceptively, as I continued talking, he said, well, can you just tell me what's been going on in your life? And have there been any big things in your life over the last few weeks or months? And so what I began sharing with him was part of this story. It had been about four months earlier, I had gone through a broken dating relationship. And it had turned out to be much more painful, much more difficult than I could have ever imagined. Furthermore, it was complicated by the fact that there were people in my life who were saying things like, ooh, you made a mistake. You, can, you just need to grow up. You just got cold feet. Come on, you're 25, just need to get on with it. And so I was getting these mixed messages. And, and so the last few weeks leading up to that moment in the doctor's office, just difficulty sleeping, just difficulty focusing. Some days it was, it was just, it was hard to get out of bed. I was actually living at home because I was completing my master's thesis. And some days behind the computers, like the words just, I, it was just like a fog on the screen. And it was, you know, just to, just to finish one paragraph would be a major achievement for that day. And so, you know, I, I just, I was comfortable talking with him, so I just kind of started to explain this situation. And after listening to my story, my doctor looked at me and he said two things that were absolutely life-giving. First of all, he said, George, you're depressed. And secondly, he said, but I don't want you to be embarrassed. 
because lots of people go through this. And I don't want you to be embarrassed because just because we're followers of Christ doesn't mean that we're immune from these seasons in our lives as well. And I needed, I needed to hear both of those things. I needed him to call out, this is where, this is what you're dealing with. Because it was in identifying it and calling it out that we were then begin, that we then started a conversation about, and here's, here's what a treatment plan can look like. And here are ways for you to move forward. And that, that really began a positive journey that would last about four to six months, the next part of my life. But I also needed to be encouraged to see that, that this can happen to any of us as well. This morning, we, we are continuing this series called The Struggle is Real. If you're new this morning, this is a series where we've been talking about challenging realities that can be part of your life, my life, the lives of people around us. And this morning, we're going to be talking about anxiety and depression. And as we begin, let me just, let me just be clear, and, and I want to underscore this, that if this is part of your life story, please understand you are not alone. If this is part of your story, you're, you're not alone. In fact, it's part of my story, and it's part of the story of other people seated around you this morning, even though you don't fully realize it. Even over the last couple of weeks, I've had different people connect with me, contact me, just, just to share part of their story as we announce this topic. And they even had input into this message this morning as they shared their own journey. Many experts suggest that 20 to 25% of us will deal with a major depression at some point in our lives. And, and these hit at all ages. These aren't just kind of older adult issues. I mean, one recent research study suggests 13% of teenagers and approximately 13% of young adults report symptoms consistent with major depression. And that percentage has grown rapidly over the last decade. Interestingly, many, many research, researchers would argue that, you know, part of one of the contributing factors to, to some of these challenges is the fact that we are, we are so connected. Now, I love the fact that we're so connected, that I can, you know, I can talk to people all over the world, I can track people all over the world in different events, and obviously we have different social media accounts that help us stay connected, but the reality is in staying connected, I'm also staying connected with things that in times will tell me I don't measure up. I'm not good enough. I, I'll never have that opportunity. I'll never have a vacation like that, right? I mean, one of the realities of, of being connected is it just exposes us to more of that information. Even this week on Monday, I was on the phone, I was on a conference call with a friend in Houston, and while we were waiting for another guy to join the call, I started talking about the World Series, and I said, hey, Chris, are you going to the World Series? And he said, well, I actually have four tickets behind Oak Plate, but I had to sell them. I'm like, what do you mean you had to sell four tickets? He said, George, you wouldn't believe it. There's this very uh, successful friend of mine. He offered me $7,500 per seat. And that's what I did. I'm on the phone going, what? Right? You know, it's like, what? And I got up the phone and I said, what would that be like? What would that be like just to casually drop $30,000 to go to a sporting event? All of a sudden, all those times I paid five bucks to get into Lower Dolphin football. It just, right. 
And I was just to watch the band because my band, you know, it just seemed, it just seemed so insignificant to hear his story. My, you know, my story's just shriveled getting off the phone. And the reality is this is, this is one of the contributing factors to some of these mental health challenges is we are so connected that we are constantly exposed to information where we feel like I don't measure up. My life isn't good enough. I'm not sure I could ever do that. I don't know if I'll ever have that opportunity. Of course, it's often the case that, you know, we get online, we're comparing our everyday lives with somebody else's highlight reel. But nonetheless, this is one of the contributing factors that just helps us understand where we're at right now. And once again, I say, if, if this is part of your story, understand you, you're not alone. As we talk about this morning, this, this morning, a couple of things I, I just want to say up front First, as with each of the topics in this series, we're just scratching the surface, and I, we just need to say that. And I mean, even as you know, even to put anxiety and depression together, they're actually two different conditions, although they frequently occur together, and one can cause the other. They are different. When we talk about anxiety, we're talking about emotional response that's characterized by feelings of tension and worry and nervousness that can often include physical changes such as increased blood pressure. In terms of depression, all of us at times feel sadness, but, but when those feelings become overwhelming, when we lose our ability to cope or have a normal active life, when we feel hopeless, when we lose interest over a, in a period of time, we're, we're moving into the realm of depression. So I need to acknowledge these, these are really our complex topics, and, and we're just skimming the surface this morning. Furthermore, I need to acknowledge I'm not a medical doctor, nor am I a mental health professional. However, you do need to know, we want to be a community that can help connect you with help that would be beneficial to you. Thus, throughout this series, you'll notice there's this insert with different resources that we want to highlight and included, you know, our pastoral care ministries. Uh, Omar Zook is is our point person on staff. And so if you would like to figure out, okay, what would be a good next step for me in dealing with these issues or where could I find help? Maybe I need to talk to someone professionally, but I don't know what steps I need to take. Omar is the guy on staff that you can talk with. Likewise, even as we conclude this service, we, we'd love the opportunity to pray with you if there's something going on in your life right now. And our, our prayer team will have members here at the front. As I talk about uh, resources, let me also just highlight a parenting seminar that is coming up this weekend. It's just a time to equip parents uh, as we talk about these issues, anxiety, depression, as well as self-harm, anger, and eating disorders. And as we think about these issues, let me just challenge those of you who are parents. And I speak as someone, you know, we just hit the empty nest stage. I speak as someone who, looking back, has to say, you know, there were times I just missed stuff as a dad. Times I didn't fully understand how complicated my kids' lives had gotten, things going on internally. So let me just encourage you to utilize this resource so that you are equipped as a parent to understand how do I engage my kids as they're wrestling with some of this stuff. One other resource that I'll mention is just a book that's been helpful to me recently. Uh, It's this book called Finding Quiet. It's a prolific scholar by the name of J.P. Moreland. But this book is really his memoir as he describes his own really 20-year journey dealing with anxiety and depression and what the steps have looked like to move in a positive direction. Now, obviously, these are complicated topics, and 
Furthermore, right, for those of us who are followers of Christ, there's an additional layer of complexity because we wrestle with, wait, I'm a follower of Christ. I didn't, I didn't think this was supposed to happen to me, right? Good Christians don't get depressed. Good Christians don't feel anxious. This is, right? I mean, it, I thought when I became a follower of Christ, this, you know, I just never anticipated that this would be part of my life story and we can feel guilty and, you know, what's wrong with me? And then we wrestle with God and, you know, God, where are you in this? And why did you let this happen to me? And there, there are all these questions and doubts that can become a part of it. Even, even questions like, well, well, should I get into treatment? Should I take medication? And for some, you know, for some reason, sometimes it, it's like if, if you and I were dealing with, with diabetes, we'd have no problem taking insulin. But when it comes to uh, chemical issues in our brain, there, there feels like it's something wrong to take medication for that. So for those of us as Christians, how do we, how do we start to engage these experiences? What does that look like? As we think through those kinds of questions, I I want us to come to this psalm in the Old Testament. And I I just want to share two basic principles that I think are relevant for us as as we face these kinds of seasons. Psalm chapter 6, and let me just begin reading. So this is Psalm 6, 1 through 7. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Now, when you hear those words, how do you respond? What, you know, what thoughts go through your mind? The reality is, I think for some of us, we just kind of, we just breeze through this. We, we don't really resonate with this at all. It just, it, it doesn't seem connected to our life experience. And, and maybe that's how you read it. And, and yet for others of us, we read this and it's like this author is, is giving words to something I have experienced. Or maybe you would even say he's giving words to something I'm, I'm experiencing right now. I am worn out from my groaning. What's it like to be at a place where that, that's, that's how you describe your day? I'm, I'm just worn out. As I mentioned recently, I've had interactions with people who have dealt with anxiety and depression. And describing his own experience, when one individual said this, it's not simply being down. It's not something you simply snap out of. Another person said this, if you have not gone through this, you do not know how debilitating these two monsters can be. While getting help, I was absolutely exhausted every single day. And as I said, you know, looking back on my own experience, there, there were just days where the victory was just getting out of bed. And, and this author gives words to this reality. He holds nothing back in, his, in describing his situation. And I think the principle is this. Simply put, I, just, I need to acknowledge where I am. 
That's exactly what the author does. Here's where I'm at. My couch is drenched with my tears. I am worn out every day. He's acknowledging, he's acknowledging what he's going, what's going on. He's not holding anything back. I mean, I needed to hear that doctor look at me in the eye and say, George, you're depressed. Because it was in understanding where I was at that we could then start to talk about what does it look like to move forward? What steps needed to be taken? And we began to work together to sort out what that was. And let's be honest, this, this can be a scary step to really say, wow, this is where I'm at. For some of you to have that conversation with your parents, just to say, hey, here's what's really going on. To reach out to someone like Omar and say, how do, how do I take next steps? To sit down with a doctor and, and talk about what's going on. Once again, for those of us who are followers of Christ, it's complicated because it, it, we get stuck with this, I'm not supposed to be depressed, right? I'm a Christian. And yet, if, if that's where you're at, if that's where you sometimes struggle, please understand this. It, it, if you actually read through the scriptures, you will see multiple locations where this was the experience of people in the Bible as well. I think about a New Testament example, right? The Apostle Paul, remember this amazing Christian leader, so influential in the early Christian movement, the guy who right, took on all kinds of challenges and hardships, and he was always go, 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 starting new churches. And yet there's this season, there's this season in, this, in the story of the church at Corinth that is hard for Paul. He describes it in 2 Corinthians, right? He started this new fledgling church, but all things, it reaches a point where things are really in crisis mode. He's, he's wondering whether the church is going to just survive at all, what that will look like. And when, when, when the thing really feels like it is about to boil over, Paul says this, as he describes that scene, he says, I felt like I was under, under the sentence of death. Just think about that for a moment. Maybe some of you have been there that way. I was, the darkness, right? It was so heavy. The weight was so deep. It just felt like day after day, I woke up and there's this death sentence just hanging over my head. Later in, in 2 Corinthians, he, he, he describes that scene as well this way. He said there, were, <laughs> there was conflict on the outside and fears on the inside. Likewise, when we come to the Psalms, we read Psalms like Psalm 6, Psalms of Lament, where the author does nothing to hold back the hard stuff, where the author is just up front and describing the hardship. And This is where I'm at. These are the enemies. This is what I'm facing. Interestingly, included in that group of Psalms, there, there are two Psalms that seem to be especially dark. They are Psalms 39 and 88. And this is how Psalm 88 ends, right? Right at the end of the Psalm, it says this, darkness is my closest friend. Interestingly, in the original language, the Hebrew, it actually ends this way. It ends this way. My closest friend, darkness. That's the last word of the Psalm. It's like he gets to the end and just turns off the light. And we're just left there. 
That's how the psalm ends, just utter darkness. And we wrestle with, oh my goodness, I can't believe that's in the Bible, right? A psalm that just ends that way? And scholars sometimes wonder, well, why was this included? And what what is the point of this? And, And I think the answer to that in some degree is this. It's a psalm like this that reminds us we need, to, we need to be open about where we are. We need to be honest with our frustrations, our doubts, our doubts about ourselves, even our doubts about God. And this psalm is here to remind us, you know what? It's okay, God can deal with it. God is not surprised by it. He's not going to be standing back going, oh my goodness, I can't believe you feel that way. Even as the psalmist expresses, express their doubts, their confusion. God, where are you? I don't like this. It's it's not pushing him away. So we need, I need to acknowledge where I am when these seasons, there's no need to hide it. No need to pretend it's not there. I need to acknowledge where I am. But there's a second point we see in this psalm as well. Not only do I need to acknowledge where I am, I also need to acknowledge who's with me. Notice how the psalm concludes. We pick up in verse 8. Away from me, all you who do evil. For the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. Now notice what, the, I mean, this, this author, right, he's been very honest about, oh my goodness, this is hard. He's totally upfront about this is where I'm at. This is what's causing confusion. There are enemies out there and I, I am groaning every day. But then you get to the end and he also says, but I know I'm not alone. I know I have hope. I know I'm not going through this by myself. Here's where I am, but here's who's with me. Now, the question is, <laughs> the question is this. How do I get from verse 7 to verse 8, right? And, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you would say, you know what? When, when, I, when this has been a part of my life, when, when I have... When the anxiety has taken over and the uncertainty and that loss of control and I'm, on, I'm always on edge or when I, I found myself in that moment or season of depression and it feels so hopeless, it feels like nothing will ever change, nothing will ever get better. In, in those seasons, it's just hard to have hope. In those seasons, it's just hard to see God at all or see the possibility that he's even there because these seasons just feel so isolating. So how do, you, how, do you get, how do you get from verse 7 to verse 8? How do, you, how do you get from this point of understanding, acknowledging, you know, this is where I am, but also this is who is with me? Well, the truth is, there's, you know, there's no simple formula. There's no magic three-step process. But what, what I would like to share are just a couple of tools that can help us grab hold of both of these principles. And the first is this. 
when I find myself in these seasons of life, I need to engage my thoughts. I need to engage my thoughts. Here's what I mean by this. When we go through these seasons of life, there there are often stress points that are contributing, that are contributing factors, right, to anxiety or depression. There are are often certain things that are, you know, man, I'm getting ready for college, and I feel the the stress of that, and it's a source of anxiety. I'm getting ready for that next job, or in this season, there's stress points. For for me, in the the situation I described, right, I'd gone through this broken relationship, and it became a stress point, and there was the pressure of what other people were saying. So there, there are these stressors of all shapes and sizes, relationships, finances, health, previous life experiences, all these things that these stress points that can contribute to anxiety and depression. So we, we have these stressors that are part of our life story, and, and then we're not surprised that we get over here and we're anxious or we're depressed. And if you, and if you ask, we would say, well, I'm here because of that. In fact, we would often say, and if you went through that, you'd be here too. And that's perfectly understandable. But what we don't always pay attention to is there's always a step between there and here. There's always a step right in the middle. And this step involves my thoughts and how I'm thinking. And even you'll notice, even as you notice, this this author is cognizant of the fact, you know what, there are enemies out there. I know they're attacking me, but God is with me. Often when we are dealing with anxiety and depression, the greatest battleground is really in our own minds. And often a contributing factor in the anxiety and depression is the distorted thinking that started to take root in our lives. To show you what I mean, let let me just give you, very quickly, just give you some examples of of distorting thinking that that can take root in these situations. Just a couple of examples. First of all, you know, there's the issue of all or nothing thinking. Right? If I'm not perfect, if, 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 if anything goes wrong, it means I'm a total failure. For me in my situation, the thought patterns that could take hold that would just drive me crazy was this fear that, you know what, if this relationship didn't work out, maybe that means none will ever work out in my life. And that that thought just dogged me. So all or nothing thinking is an example of distorted thinking. Another example, overgeneralization. I always do this. I never get it right. This always happens. The truth is our anxieties speak the language of absolutes. And this is one way those negative thoughts, you know, you always do this, you always mess up, you never get it right, and those thoughts can take root as well. Another example is catastrophic thinking. I exaggerate my weaknesses or the harmful aspects of things that have happened. Remember Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19? Remember, he'd gone, gone, gone through this great victory, but all of a sudden he's on the run. His life is being threatened. He finds himself in the desert. 
He's exhausted, has this conversation with God, and it's like, God, I've been so faithful. I am the only one. I'm the only one left. And God says, you need some rest, right? He did. He was tired. He was exhausted. And in his exhaustion, it's like this, this weightiness had set in, and it was just catastrophic thinking. I'm the only one who's left. Finally, God comes back and just, what does he say? No, you're not. There are actually thousands who are with you. Another example of distorted thinking, discounting the positive. I never see the positive. I only focus on the negative. One person told me that that part of her journey in dealing with anxiety and depression included having to deal with those thoughts that said, it will never get better. I'll always be like this. I will never be healed. It will never change. And part of her journey was learning to counter those examples of distorted thinking. One other example is just self-blame, to blame myself, even for things beyond my control. And let's be honest, for some of us here, we don't need other critics in our lives because we are our worst critic. And we continue to heap it on ourselves. And I think for some of us, sometimes part of what is driving that is this fear this fear that can be at work at the core of who I am, this fear that my life is like the Wizard of Oz. And at some point, someone's going to poke around the screen and see behind the curtain and see who I really am. And so we blame ourselves. And we get locked into this distorted thinking that, that only complicates the anxiety and the depression. Those are just some examples um, of things that contribute. And I think this can, this can be a place where we really need to interact with someone else who can help us understand our thought processes, often a counselor who can do that well, who can help us see patterns of thinking that are at work. And one of the reasons we need to be aware of these patterns is this, these distorted patterns of thinking will hinder and block our awareness of God's presence. Not surprisingly, I think this is also a place where Scripture can play a helpful role. Memorizing, meditating on Scripture passages that remind me of God's faithfulness and remind me of his presence. Passages that confront the lies that sometimes take root in in my mind. As one person told me, part of her strategy was, was reciting Scriptures out loud as she drove to work. And that became a part of the way she defeated distorted thinking. So one of the tools we can use in becoming aware that God is with us is we've got to engage in our thoughts and be aware of those negative patterns of thinking. I think we also have to engage God and others. A moment ago, right, I read the ending. Remember that really dark psalm, Psalm 88? Darkness is my closest friend. Here's a fascinating thing about that psalm. If you go to Psalm 88, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but but, um, the psalms, many of them include titles. And, and the title over Psalm 88 attributes it to a guy named uh, Haman the Ezraite. 
And most likely, this guy is actually a guy by the name of Heman, who's also mentioned in the book of 1 Chronicles. And here's the fascinating thing. In 1 Chronicles, we learn, you know what? This guy was in charge of music at the tabernacle and then at the temple. He was a musician. And what we read, the limited reference implies that he was faithful in carrying out his duties. And I wonder if it wasn't the case that his life went, you know, at some point his life was like this. He's going through this really dark spot. I don't know what it looked like, but it's described in Psalm 88. And yet he was continuing to engage God. He was continuing to, you know, go to the tabernacle. He was continuing to lead people and, and sing and praise. And it's like he was saying, okay, I don't, I don't really feel like this is happening. I don't know where you're at, God, but I'm still going to pursue you. I'm not going to back off. And the reality is when we, when we are willing to say that, when we're willing to say, okay, God, I'm, you know, I'm going to continue to be a part of your church community. Father, I'm going, to continue, I'm going to continue to pursue you even though right now it just feels like darkness. Even though it feels like I'm in isolation, it feels like I'm just praying to the ceiling. When we continue to do that, at some point you may discover that this dark place can actually become a place where God does his deepest work in you. And so we, we pursue God, and, and I think we also in, not only engage God, but we need to engage others. We need to stay a part of the community. We need to have other people in our lives. As we've been talking throughout this series, we are not intended to go through it alone. One individual told me that, you know, as he's wrestled with depression over the last 20 years, that an important part of his healing has just been a, the group that he has been a part of. And someone else said, I've learned how powerful community can be as God works in the context of relationships. And for those of you who are in groups, I just encourage you to have this conversation. You know, how can we be for one another in these areas, particularly if someone is dealing with these situations? Of course, if we're going to be for one another, we, we have to learn to do this well. You can't just look at someone and say, well, just snap out of it as if it's going to go away. And You don't need to overload them with advice, but you need to figure out how you can walk with them well, how you can pray with them, how you can help them take next steps. So as we've said throughout this series, the struggle is real, and for some of us, this includes anxiety and depression. However, as the psalmist shows us, we need to be honest and acknowledge where we are. But we also need to understand who is with us. You're not alone. To show you that one more time, let me just take you to one other scene in the pages of Scripture. It's the scene we read about in the Gospels. It's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's in that garden that Jesus himself experiences the stressors. He experiences the weightiness of what he's about to go through. He experiences the darkness. He experiences 
the isolation. Yet he is willing to go through this because he has come to save, he has come to deliver. And particularly if you deal with anxiety and depression. I pray in that scene you would also see Jesus entering into your darkness. Entering into that hard season of your life. I pray that you would hear him saying directly to you, I have come to forgive. I have come to renew. I have come to restore. I have come to heal. You don't have to go through this alone. With that in mind, we're now going to come to a time of communion. I'm going to invite our band back out and In a moment, I'm going to pray, and after I pray, I'm going to invite you, if you're a follower of Christ, to come to one of these stations just to get the bread and the cup. If you're here, you're just, you would say, I'm not really sure where I'm at. That's fine. You can just feel comfortable staying where you're at. But for those of us who are followers of Christ, I invite you to come to take the bread and the cup and to take it back to your seats, and then in a moment, I'll come back up, and we will take this together. And over these moments, I pray that this would be a reminder to you that the one who has come to give his life for you is the one who has come to heal, restore. He's the one who meets us in our darkness. You don't have to be alone. Would you bow with me as we pray? So gracious God, as we hear the words of the psalmist, We realize he's held nothing back in acknowledging the reality of what he's going through, but we also see his awareness that you're with him. Father, I pray that that would be our experience as well. And I pray even now as we come to the table, I pray for those who are here that are going through hard stuff. I pray for those who would say, this is a part of my life. Father, I pray that just the very act of getting up and physically coming to the table would be a physical and tangible reminder of the truth that we are not alone. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.